from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody out there on the interwebs, wrapped up and tangled in those worldwide webs? Ross Martin, hipster's glasses himself, still out on assignment. We sent him up to Alaska to cover a, a bass fishing tournament. But making his way all the way down here from Thornton, we got the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? And how about this uh, hot, hot weather? I took a very long walk today, and uh, I got home, and uh, there was more sweat than a person. Would you say it was a long me. walk off a short pier? I, I would say that, but... <laughs> To be honest with you, a short pier would have been nice. Yeah. I would have been able to cool myself down because, good Lord, now uh, I, I got my, you know, good dose of vitamin D is what they say that you need. But uh, holy crap, that was, that was more sweating than I've ever done in my life, I think. The vitamin D, they say, is good for uh, endurance. That's why you'll see some UFC fighters unseasonably tan at various times because they actually tan to get some vitamin D into their body to help with their cardio for a big fight. Interesting. I didn't know it improved stamina like that. That's what they say. That's why Georges St. Pierre, Georges St. Pierre was always unseasonably tan. I'm sure porn stars are full of vitamin D. Yes. <laughs> and bodybuilders. Not to bring the tone down. Everybody that does fitness shows, all that good stuff. Yes. So uh, what have you been up to, Nate? How was your, how was your week? It was good. We uh, went for a bike ride over the weekend and then went to my pool. Immediately you're, jumped in there because you're Mr. after Fitness the bike now. ride, it was hot. Uh, yeah, I bought a scale a week ago. Looked at the results after I stepped on it. Scared myself. So I'm trying to scare myself straight. <laughs> and then uh, so my, my sister was at my house, and she got on the scale, and she goes, how much did you pay for this thing? I was like, 10 bucks, Walmart, crap scale, you know? She's like, I think it's off by about 10 pounds. I was like, let's hope so. Okay. And you're like, don't give me hope like that. I need motivation. <laughs> I'm using this scale. And I also I took it a step further, shaved my head over the weekend, trying to fat shame myself. Bill Burr talks about it all the time. Fat shaming works. So I shaved the head. I know my head looks rounder when it's shaved. Shaved that. Looked at this scale that may or may not be 10 pounds heavier than every other scale in America. So I'm working towards a goal. Those of you who uh, follow me on Twitter saw the periscope of uh, the pregame of CSG, and I, I showed I showed Mr. Timmons with his new do, and uh, you know it actually doesn't look too bad. So uh, you know you may want to keep this, except when it gets to the winter and you get cold. You yeah, know? then I'm gonna grow it long and wear cornrows. It's my next goal. You and Ellen Iverson. That's my um. next goal. What about yourself? What have you been up to? Um, I just right, just writing a. Wrote a couple things, but mostly it's just been um, coming down from the birthday. I mean, I, I spent literally about three of the seven days of my birthday week drinking. and um, Always a good move. And it's just, you know, I'm at the age now where it takes me a long time to recover from that. And I, it, it's, it's just you, I have to, okay, this is how it is now. I have to schedule drinking times. I mean, tonight we've had a couple of beers, but I mean, if I'm going to do some really, like, go out and celebrate. you got to make I, sure you I, got <laughs> nothing going on for about a week afterwards. Literally, I have to move events on my calendar away so I can, like, literally devote it to 
that so I can like be basically useless to everyone for the time to duration afterwards because I just I can't do it like I used to. So let's say you have let's say you're in Los Angeles or New York yeah. or Chicago or Miami, let's say, and you have a big work event at around one PM on a Sunday and you fly in Saturday night. Are you going out partying all night? Um, no, I I will not be doing that, but I'll party after the work event. Oh, so you're not like Ty Lawson. I am not like Ty Lawson. <laughs> oh, we're taking cheap shots on Man, the podcast. Uh, on the way out too. We're 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 part of the we're part of the culture that takes shots of people when they're out. Yeah, but Man. I mean that, that was something that we talked about sometimes. You know, you'd see the the quote unquote we call them hangover games from Ty Lawson, and maybe that's what they were. Well, you know, it's, it's I, I, all I can tell you is that I'm basically useless. I've had a lot of hangover games myself. I, I'm basically useless. And the, the, the Sunday after the I had my part, official party, which was the 19th, I was literally not able to function. I did a radio interview with uh, Raj Sharon, and I managed to write an article. <laughs> But I, I was literally half a person writing this. I was functioning on two brain cells. And uh, it, it took me until basically Thursday till I started feeling like a normal human being. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that for a very long time. I am 37 years old. I, I have to, like, really schedule my drinking. So That's smart. It's basically me. So I've been basically detoxing for a week. That's smart. <laughs> so we got, uh, we got, we got some, some different topics we'll get into you know, since Ross hasn't been around as frequently, uh, with the he's he's got a lot going on. He's got the baby. He's newly, somewhat, still newly married. I would say. You know, he's he's in a young marriage. He's got he's changing houses. Three years now. Yeah. He's working his tail off at whatever job he's doing. Uh, this weekend, it's covering the bash tournament yeah, up in bass Alaska. Fishing. But we've kind of turned it into a Nuggets centric podcast, which wasn't the intentions when we first started this venture years no, ago, no. but. It's turned into that because that's what we love. But tonight, we do have some other stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about the Rockies, obviously, with the Troy Tulowitzki trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about Broncos spring training stuff. It's not spring. It's I know. Training. We're actually not even going to talk about that. I'm just making that up. <laughs> we're going to talk a little Rockies, probably mix in some Nuggets and, and some other NBA news and whatnot. But, you know, we'll get into all of that. But we are, we are we're not we're... It's more that Jeff is venturing into a, a bit of a new thing, something that he's been doing. This, this videos. He's a he's become a, a master recorder down at Pepsi Center. Whenever I see him, he's got a, a camera in hand. He's he's trying the photojournalism stuff. Well, what this is basically what I'm going to throw out there, folks. Um, as many of you know, and some of you probably don't know, um, the Colorado Sports Guys does have a YouTube channel where I I basically film Nuggets practices. Um, film coaching interviews, um, film pre and post game interviews, and stuff like that, and I enjoy doing it quite a bit. And to be honest with you, the um, the views have been doing really well. Specifically, the Nuggets workouts of Stanley Johnson and uh, Justice Winslow did exceptional, and it got me to thinking. You know, I've been doing this for so over a year now. And well, yeah, because you had a video, obviously, of, of Zach Levine was a huge one. Nick Johnson, Nick New Johnson. Denver Nugget. We got some video of him working out at Pepsi Center That's from last year. That's the first ever Colorado Sports Guys video was Nick Johnson. 
um, working quick. Out, working out for the Nuggets in uh, June of 2014, and I uh, used a program called uh, YouTube Capture on my iPhone 4. That uh, you know that tells you why the quality of it was not exactly great, but the point is of all this, I want to take it to the next level. I want to step it up, but that requires better equipment. That requires probably better software, and it also requires a better computer than I got. I got a nice MacBook Air right now, but that's you know really not used for heavy duty editing and stuff like that. Um, I would like quite frankly, to take this to the next level. And I want to ask the people who are listening to this podcast, if I did a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe kind of thing, would you be able to, you know, would, you, would it be something that it would interest you to contribute to the next level of Colorado Sports Guys and um, the Colorado Sports Guys YouTube channel? Because I really want to take this up quite a bit. And I'm kind of, as Nate will tell you, I'm kind of obsessed with this right now. And, and the I, thing with us, too, I mean, obviously, we have other jobs. This isn't our, our full-time gig, but it's like our passion and obsession, you know? Like, it is. I mean, I, I spend more time thinking about the podcast, thinking about Denver Stiffs, than I do probably any other aspect of my life, which is, I guess, both probably good and bad in some degrees. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it, it is something where, yeah, we might need a little help because, you know, we're not rolling around in this new TV money that the NBA is getting. Yes, we're not. That's, that's true. If, if we were rolling around in that money, you know, things would be quite a bit different right now. But what I'd say is this. If this is something you'd be interested in, uh, message me and, on Twitter at jmorton78 or at or Nate Timmons at, eight, at Nate Timmons CO. Um, or Colorado Sports Guys Twitter account, which is C-O-L-O Sports Guys, at C-O-L-O Sports Guys. Or you can reply in the comment section of Denver Stiffs when I post this for the Wednesday edition of the post. Or, you know, we really do have a comment section on Colorado Sports Guys if you want to use that, too. Um, it's just right under the post. Um, let me know your thoughts on this. I personally would love to take this to the next level. Let's push Colorado Sports Guys YouTube channel above everyone because you know right now between between you and me, we already get more views than the Nuggets official account. So uh, you know, let's let's just take this up a couple more notches. Couple of notches. Okay, let's do that. So, anyway, that's the last I'll tell you. Uh, talk about this right now. Um, if I get a consensus, I will uh, make a, either a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe, and we will get this going. But I'm going to need the high sign from you, good folks. If you guys say forget it, Jeff, then I'll find another way to do it. But we'll go from there, and let's let's do it and um, go uh, go team. Jeff's, <laughs> Jeff's other option was uh, prostitution. Yeah, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> so that's something we'll be kicking around. You can look for that. We'll, we'll have some posts and we'll have some other uh, some other ideas coming as well. So be on the lookout for that. But it would be yes. cool because we got a lot of ideas. Yes, we do. A lot of ideas. A lot of ideas. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some of this fascinating Troy Tulowitzki talk. Oh yeah. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna read. Uh, a few things that happened recently on this Tula Whiskey Talk. Tweets from last night. <laughs> yes, tweets from last night. Troy Tula Whiskey gets traded out of the blue, basically, 
We're getting told all season that, that Mr. Tulowitzki is going to be staying in town. He gets traded to the Blue Jays after, what, I don't know, 25 years of questions on if he's going to He was our Pretty version much. of Andre Iguodala. He basically is. Iguodala suffered through trade rumors in, in Philadelphia for years. Yep. And now, now we have our answer. He goes to the Blue Jays, and I just want to read a, a couple of tweets that I, I found kind of uh, both entertaining and confusing. Run the gamut. All right. This one is from uh, Colin Daniels at South Stands 303. I think he might run a local podcast in town and in a mm, website. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. All right. So he says this on uh, 21 hours ago. Can I just say this? I fucking love Troy Tulowitzki. <laughs> And he followed that tweet up with, God damn it, I am fucking crying over a baseball player. Oh, God. Don't leave. Colin's a mature man. I think he's in his uh, late 50s, early 60s. I think so, yeah. Um, maybe even his late, late, late 60s. Late 60s. Early 70s, maybe. Yeah. Even. I don't know. Crying over a baseball player. I, could, yeah, I, could, um, I couldn't decide if he was serious or if he was poking fun at the situation. I couldn't tell either because he said something, I think, about uh, being more upset of this than he was after the mellow trade. And I'm, I'm like, man, it's some deep, deep racism. <laughs> no, that's some, <laughs> that's some deep caring about Tor- Troy Tulowitzki. And he doesn't even have uh, club-level seats like his uh, co-host John Reedy had that's for true. years. That's true, and Reedy was quite level-headed last night. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's how that relationship goes. I think that's usually how it goes. And Colin's level-headed. <laughs> or no, Colin flies off the handle. Reedy level-headed, and Scott Stafford is just trying to figure out what song to play. Yes, yes, basically, that's what's going on. So we, got, we had those from Colin, and those summed up probably... Basically, a lot of what I saw on the Tula Whiskey trades, there was a lot of people freaking out. A lot of people expressed, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, remorse or, I don't know, upset that he Tulo is gone. Uh, another one here from Vic Lombardi, local sportscaster, CBS Sports, does some great work. Uh, he tweeted out last night, Know why I love Tulo? Because he worked his tail off. He didn't kiss butt. He didn't care what we thought. He was married to baseball. So, Troy Tulowitzki, you know, rest in peace. I'm sorry he died. Apparently he's dead. I guess, you know, Vic, Vic could move to Toronto to cover Troy if he loved him so much. Um, your father's from, from that area. I mean, is going up there basically dying? In the winter, yes. <laughs> it's, it's cold in the parts of Canada in the winter. So, But Toronto's like, Toronto actually is a... You know, I mean, it's a, it's a well-regarded city, well-regarded for being a very international city. It, it is an international city, yes. It's, uh, Edu Turkolo's <laughs> wife wanted him to live there so he could smoke the finest of cigarettes in Toronto. The finest of uh, Turkish hashish in, in, in uh, Toronto. But, I, man, that's, I mean, Vic, come on. He's not dead. He's he not is dead. not dead. What? You know, I was upset when the Nuggets traded Carmelo Anthony, but... I mean, I mean, the rending of clothing going on here is is becoming <laughs> insane. So let's break this trade down just a little bit. From I mean, I am a, I would call myself a baseball outsider because I don't I have I have time for eighty two NBA games plus the playoffs. 
I don't have time to care about other sports as much as I care about the NBA. Jeff, you've always been a, uh, I call you a closet baseball fan. Yes. You seem to know more than you let on. I came out of the closet with sex and sexuality, and I went back in the closet <laughs> with baseball, baseball fandom. <laughs> yes. So the, the Rockies, obviously, they trade one of the best players in franchise history, yes. arguably the best player in yeah. franchise history. I remember, you know, before Tulo was with the club, you heard his name as a prospect, and, you know, they were kind of, you know, raving about this kid they had coming up, and I remember even when the Rockies had, you know, when they were trying to make some trades around deadlines here and there, you always heard, Rockies won't give up. Yeah. Shortstop prospect, Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah. So they deal this guy, and really it, it is on the level of, of trading a Carmelo Anthony. And then you think of the Broncos. Who did the Broncos? They haven't ever really traded anybody, like, big time, have they? It was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they made that. Probably you know, the, the Clint, NFL's Clinton different. Portis. You got Clinton, Clinton Portis. Portis for Champ Bailey was yeah, a Yeah, but that, I mean, Portis wasn't on the level of Tewitzki. Oh, no, he was to me, man. <laughs> I love you, Clinton. No, that was a blood, but they got, they got Clinton Portis, I mean, uh, uh, Champ Bailey back, and he was a 10-year shutdown corner, you yeah. know, and that, and that was makes it different. I mean, the, the, the NFL's the business is just so different. You, it's hard to compare. Um, baseball and, ba- and basketball is much more easily to be able to compare. And I really, you, you have to listen. I empathize with people who are very upset about Tulo being traded because I railed against the fact that Melo was going to be traded from the Nuggets, even though I knew it was inevitable. And quite frankly, you know, I understand the feeling like, God, man, it's like, it's kind of like a pit. But baseball is so, so like, different. It's so individual. Baseball is weird you know? to me, too, because it seems like at the trade deadline, if you're not a serious contender, then you sell off all of your players no matter what, you know? And it's, like, it's the most bizarre sport to me where it's, it's felt like that since I was a kid. It was, like, you know, every, every team was... The Expos were a, a major league farm system for every other team. I mean, yeah. Randy yeah, Johnson, like that. Yeah. Pedro Martinez, Larry Walker, Delano DeShields. Like, they had Marquise Grissom. Like, so many guys were with, you know, with these teams. And now you see the Rockies are kind of like that. They you, sold uh, off. You sure you're not a big closet baseball fan? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the, the Rockies <laughs> sell off, you know, Larry Walker. They sell off Troy Tulowitzki. They never sold Todd Helton, but... You know, it's weird how it works because you, you you tend to think, how are the Rockies ever going to win if they don't have a guy like Tulowitzki? But then you think about it in the sense, like you're saying, it's an individual sport, so one guy is not going to make that much of a difference. You hope that, you know, of the guys they got back, I mean, Jose Reyes is going to be trade fodder at some point in time. He's a gap stop player until this young kid in the minors is ready. They get three arms. Two of them are probably legit prospects. One guy seems like he's, eh, I don't know. But it's, I mean, well, it's, I, it's, it's a tough thing because it's, in Major League Baseball, you don't trade for draft picks per se, but you trade for these prospects that are essentially draft picks, right? Essentially, the best way to equate it to NBA talk is you're trading for draft picks. So it would be like if, and a subject we'll talk about later, if the... Um, Charlotte Hornets had taken four first-round draft picks from the uh, Boston Celtics. And I think they would be that kind of deal only in the, you know, in the draft. I think the, uh, the Major League Baseball draft is like 90 rounds or something like that. It's insane. So at least when you trade for you these know. prospects, you have somewhat of a sense for 
you know, what their tools are. Yeah. You have scouting. You know, you, you have more of a sense than just trading for an unknown draft pick. Yeah, and it's it's you, you get to see them, and, you know, they, the, the Nuggets, Nuggets, the, the Rockies have a prospect in the, <laughs> in the minors, God, uh, called Trevor Story, who is supposed to be pretty good. Uh, I don't know if he's Tulitsky level, but he's pretty good. Yeah, he is pretty good. Uh, and uh, supposedly, sorry. this is what happens. You know, we get we get drink orders and we start you know, like put waving a finger in the air. Um, it's distracting. Uh, so, essentially, that is what that is. And, and this Trevor Story guy is supposed to be pretty good, but they got Jose Reyes, who is terrible. But he I, makes I twenty two million good, a year. Like Ten years ago, right? With like the it, Mets or something. Yeah, the Mets a long time ago, and now he's just like a corpse. And he's well, I mean, playing, that's, you know, that, that was kind of the. Uh, let's talk first. What did you think of the prospects? Are any of these guys worth a shit? Uh, this Hoffman guy, actually, uh, Jeff Hoffman, I think is his name, um, is uh, legit. And the uh, the Rockies definitely held out for him. And Miguel Castro seems like he could be somewhat interesting, right? Yeah, he's uh, kind of. I think he projects as kind of a bullpen guy. And the other guy they got is a back-of-the-rotation guy, and I forgot his name already. Well, they better hope to God that this freaking Miguel Castro is not a reliever. I mean, you, <laughs> the Rockies he's, can't afford to keep stockpiling shitty pitchers. Apparently, from what I from what I understand, he's got like two pitches, and the rest of it is kind of crap right now. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's my thing with where I, I you know, when I, I started blogging about the Nuggets and... Honestly, I've talked about it on the podcast. I've written about it. My fandom with the Broncos, a part of it retired when John Elway retired. I mean, I, I he was like a bizarre second father when I was growing up, right? It was John Elway every Sunday. Anytime he was on TV, anytime anybody wrote about him in the paper, you know, it was Elway, Elway, Elway. So when he retired, it was kind of like, you know, we, we rode through those five Super Bowls with him. You know, I saw him lose to the Niners. Yeah. I, don't, I don't totally remember the Giants. Saw him lose to the Niners. You, know, you see some of that heartbreak with Jacksonville. You win the two Super Bowls. I felt like I, I climbed the mountaintop. With the Rockies, loved. I, li- I was living downtown during Rocktober. Yeah. And it was like our, our apartment complex, Metro, was, you know, it was like a $500 off rent for the best decorated balcony with Rocky stuff or something. So people were going nuts and like the whole freaking apartment complex was Rockies. Yep. And where we lived, people parked there to go to Rockies games. So it was like people were coming back, at, you know, at night, screaming, yelling, having a great time. I went to a bunch of games. I was at game 163. Loved it. It was fun. But it was, there was such a big sense of luck. And with the Rockies, it's just, it's like you're beating your head into the wall with that yeah. franchise. It's like pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, strategy, everybody's trying to figure out, you know, how do you play at Coors Field? What if you just move the outfield walls back another hundred feet? You know, I mean, what is the answer? I mean, how do you how do you approach this thing? My brother Alex was scouted by uh, some major league scouts when he played uh, some junior college baseball, and uh, I'll never forget the story that was told to me was that a scout told him that this was a scout from another team said do not go to the Rockies and my brother says why because of the altitude he goes no because they ruin their pitchers they mess with their mechanics 
and they make them do things that they're not good at in order to emphasize things that they think will help in this ballpark. He says, let me tell you something. This is a direct quote. He says, let me tell you something. What the Rockies have always needed is just pitchers who are talented. (laughs) And he said, not to be manufacture pictures and pitchers and then mess with them when they get to the minors. And that's what the, the Rockies have been doing basically almost exclusively under Dan O'Dowd. And they've begun to correct um, since they got to uh, Jeff Breidich, the, uh, the new general manager. And they've changed their approach to development. You hope well, here's, here's that th- they can change this before they Ruin some more pitchers. Well, have they have they changed philosophies in the minors, or have they changed their personnel that's teaching these prospects? I don't. I have a lot of problems if it's just changing a philosophy versus changing actual faces and know how. Because I mean, you, you see it in any sport. If you don't have good coaches, you suck. I think they have. Breitich has brought in a whole bunch of different. Uh, minds into the minor system, from what I understand. Because um, it wasn't that way after Philip O'Dowd. Like with O'Dowd, they they kept all these guys, right? I I don't know. My I I believe that before O'Dowd left, his last year, they brought in a a new director of minor league scouting or minor league development or something like that, and uh, that has helped them a little bit. To be honest with you, you're not going to be able to see any results on these things for years. I know, and it's just, it's such a bizarre question when you're talking about, you know, how do you? I mean, your your biggest strategy with a sports team is figuring out how the hell to play in the arena or in the in the stadium that you play in. Yep. And it's like that's such a bizarre question, and it was fun. I mean, back in the day, watching like Blake Street Bombers, and you know, even in '07 when they made that World Series run. It was a pretty explosive offense, or a timely explosive offense, you know. And it was yeah, we were really know. lucky. As I remember, they were they they were pretty mediocre the entire season. Here's an ignorant question: Are they still using the humidor? <laughs> yeah, I think so. They should take that thing into the outfield during the off season and invite everybody down and blow it up along with Dinger, and then just let freaking moonball happen again. I remember Mike Piazza had a check swing that was a home run one time. He had a check swing home run. <laughs> Uh, I remember Barry Bonds hit a home run when it was Mile High Stadium that almost went out over south, the South Stands, and that was a long way. And man, that was. But you know what? That team always had was fun. That's what I remember about that team is that the, those teams all the way up to '99. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it didn't work. They had but, like a lot of late inning rallies with like Eric yeah. Young and Joe Girardi, and you're like, yeah. We got baseball. But then they bring in, bring in jerks like Jeff Cirillo and guys who, like, hated being in Colorado and then did nothing but trash the organization. And it just, things just kind of just went meh after that. And But there was a time from when the Rockies came in in 93 to when uh, about 99, um, maybe the year that Don Baylor's last year before Jim Leland came in, and that was a disaster. But <laughs> that time, the, the Rockies were pretty fun. And it's, it's funny part we, of me wishes that came back, to be honest with you. We, we focus a lot, everybody, I think, that covers the Rockies, that cares about the Rockies. We focus so much on, on the negatives. And there's been, I mean, there's been positives 
obviously. You know, I mean, they went to the damn World Series. Nuggets haven't been to one. Avalanche, Broncos. I mean, nobody's no. been there. Rockies are the, well, I guess Broncos did go, if you count that Super Bowl in Seattle. We are not going to count that. But, you know, we don't, we don't focus that much on, on the good things that the Rockies have done. I mean, they were an exciting team when they went out and got Larry Walker. You know, I mean, that was huge. That was big. Never forget that. I loved Larry Walker. I loved him when he played with the Montreal Expos. Yeah. And they got him, and I was like, yeah, because I knew he would work well with Andres Galarraga, and who was my, still my favorite Rockies player of all time. Somebody listed a Mount Rushmore of Rockies players or top three. I think it might have been Lombardi, and they didn't include Galarraga, and I was hurt How by can that. you not include? He won the batting title. The big his, his the, the Rockies' first season. I mean, I, it's cat-like quickness at first base to the ball. He was a big guy, but, I mean, Todd Helton said that's where he learned how to do that stretch. He always had the tight pants. You could see his calves through his pants. Yeah. Like, big and cat. he did that big open stance where he was facing the pitcher, you know, and I... Guaranteed I, I practiced that batting stance. Me too. Guaranteed. I was in junior high school playing softball uh, in gym class, which I hated, Oberon Junior High School which is now over on middle school. I hate you. I hate you. That was the worst experience <laughs> of my life. But I remember playing softball there and using Andres Galarraga as the, my last year there. It was like the, the, the um, ninth grade. My ninth grade year was two, 19, 1992 to 1993. The Rockies started in... What was it? April of 93. And um, I got out of school in May. And it was that month long I was using the Andres Galarraga open stance. Can see the ball better in the open stance. Like literally you're (laughs) facing the pitcher and then you wind up. I was like, and I keep thinking, why don't more people do that? Yeah, You never see that. Why don't more more hitters look directly at the, the pitcher? You know, they're, they're side-eyeing him like they're in a club somewhere, you know? Yeah. You just got to gotta look anyway. Regardless of all that. That was my second high school sport, baseball. Was Played, it? Uh, through my sophomore season, and I was done. Done. But, but your career as an offensive lineman was so lucrative. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was. It's awesome. Um, so the other, the other part of this is, obviously, with the trading of Tulo, the question is, you know, was the timing right? Was it a good move by the franchise? No matter the deal, was the timing of trading him right? Let's let's remove the timing because the timing was bad. I think that and that they should have traded him two years ago. I think everyone who follows baseball knows this. But the fact that they traded him is a is a positive sign. I think because you could tell, even though we like Tulo, you could tell that it was uh, what we're doing is not making sense anymore the return they got back was too low <laughs> it was <laughs> could have got clap, more two clap, years clap, clap 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 too low but i mean so does this obviously signify that they are going to rebuild which which brings us into the inevitable question that people are already talking about and saying that the rockies are looking into which is trading carlos gonzalez which was i mean he was the piece they got back in the Walker deal, right? Is it the Walker deal? No, the, uh, the Holiday deal. Holiday. That's yeah. right, Holiday. Uh, they got... Uh, Three-teamer. Three-team yeah, trade. they got to Houston Street Went and Oakland. Cargo from that deal. They get Houston Street in that deal? Uh-huh. 
thought they traded him in that deal. Yeah, they nope. got him. They got him. They got Houston Street, um, Carlo, uh, Carlos Gonzalez, and another player, I think. And then they sent Matt Holiday to Oakland, who was spent like a half year, or a year in Oakland. God, half I forgot year. about that. And then he went to St. Louis. I forgot he went to Oakland. I love the A's growing up. So, Cargo, should they, drill, should they deal him as well? You know, logically they should, but I think they should play it out, to be honest with you. They need to play out this season and see how he responds. Cargo's, one of his biggest issues is that he he's a front runner, I think. I think he's a very good front runner. And he's, he gets mentally frustrated with a lot of different things. He admitted last year that he the losing and all that stuff got to him. And which I don't blame him, but you never want to hear that your a player say that sort of thing. Um, I want to see how he reacts to this because if he reacts positively, I don't think they have a reason to get rid of him. That's my big question. He's a five-tool with, player. That's my big question with baseball: is how old is Cargo? He's in his twenties. He's in his twenties, like twenty-eight, twenty-nine. So I understand the rebuilding, but you know, do you have to? How far down do you have to tear this thing in order to build it back up? And with these pitchers, these guys that are coming over in this deal, Hoffman and whoever the heck these other two guys are. <laughs> Miguel Castro. Wasn't Miguel Castro like an infielder for like the Phillies like 10 years ago? Think, yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. That's all, all my baseball knowledge is basically from like the 90s and early 2000s. Um, Carlos Gonzalez is uh, 29 years old. 29. Okay. So, yeah, it's probably time to trade him, too. If you got to wait for these other pitchers to come up, Cargo is only – he's going to be, like, 33 by the He'll time these guys are ready. He'll be 30 in October. Yeah. So he's – yeah, you got to trade him. You have to. You know, it's – Trade everybody over the age of 25. <laughs> in baseball, they could play till like they're, like – wasn't it Jamie Moyer who was, like, 47? Yes. Are you playing for the Rockies? I mean, they Dale could, Murphy played for Dale the Rockies? Dale Murphy. He was, like, 93. I never forget. I, uh, I was okay. so happy when they got Dale Murphy. Because I remembered him he on was the Braves, to hit like two home runs to get to four hundred or something, and he like never that. got there. Yeah, he never got there. He had a bunch he of was, pop outs. Was stuck on three ninety eight. I think that's the sole reason the Rockies had him on the roster too. Um, but I think they got. I don't remember. I think they got that first season. That first season they had like Eric Young. Remember him and uh, oh yeah. Um, Charlie Hayes. Charlie Hayes. I wore number freaking, was he 9 or 13? 13. 9. 9. He was 9. Yeah, I think I wore 9. Oh, wait, what was Ellis Burks? Ellis Burks was in the next year, but I'm, I think to. Remember Gerald Clark? I remember watching Gerald Clark getting a Joe brawl Clark, with the yeah. Giants at yeah. Mile High Stadium. Well, they got into a lot of brawls with the Giants back then. Yeah. I mean, a lot. Yeah. Um,. Anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, okay, you, people think that Colorado sports guys, you know, oh, we're just uh, we're just obsessed with the, the Nuggets. We, we yes, cover the Nuggets. This is our area of expertise. That's our first love. We sound like a couple jackasses talking about the Rockies. <laughs> but to be I honest do, with you, I, I loved the, the Rockies the most from 93 to 99. And they were a fun team then. And for some reason, outside of 2007 and 2009, they ceased being fun. They, they, they took the fun out of baseball. And, and that's my, been my biggest criticism of the Rockies. Can the, can the Rockies find their fun again? 
because it's just like we said with the Nuggets. Under Brian Shaw, the Nuggets were not fun. They were not fun at all. Wow. He did not play in his fun style or anything like that. Now, if the, if the Nuggets were playing that style in the 90s, it would be different. But it, was, it, it moved. The, the Rockies, the baseball really hasn't fundamentally changed other than the use, overuse of analytics right now. You have to, you have to be fun in Denver. And the, the Rockies are just kind of excruciating at times to watch. Yeah, and I don't know if I totally agree with the fun angle, but I, I, fun. I, see, I see it to a point. Um, let's talk a little bit briefly about the Jeff Breidich press conference. And, and two things that I've seen a lot of people talk about that Breidich and even uh, Monfort talked about it too. They, they, both used, <laughs> they both used the word stunned when they said they, they told Tua of the trade and he was stunned and shocked, surprised, whatever, whatever. Aghast. And here's, here's <laughs> kind of two things that I've been thinking about. So people, I saw a lot of people on, on social media saying, Man, I really wish Tulo would have went to a contender and a true contender. And then people also were saying, you know, even stories. I read a story on Yahoo Sports talking about how, you know, the Rockies publicly said they were going to keep Tulo in the loop. And basically they did not do that. They went against their word, which... They never should have said that publicly anyway, in my opinion. They should have just said, look, Troy, we're going to explore trading you. You know, that's going to happen. Deal with it. It's part of sports life. It just happens. So there you go. I, I, do, did you think on those two points, did you, do you think that it was a necessity for the Rockies to publicly say that they're going to keep him in a loop? Do you have a problem that they didn't do that? And I forget the second point. But did you have a problem they didn't do that? Um, no. And, and I don't think most logical thinking people have a problem with that either. Um, Were you sad they didn't trade him to a quote-unquote true contender? No. Who cares about that, right? No. You're trying to maximize value for your own franchise. No. Don't give a shit I mean, about it's like, remember, I remember when the Rockies traded uh, Matt Holliday, and I was upset about that trade mostly because the, it didn't, Carlos Gonzalez, before that trade, wasn't exactly what you would call a premium guy. So you're saying if Jeff had, Hoffman turns into the next Pedro Martinez, Rockies yes. fans will be eating a lot of crow. Yes, they will. And but and then it kind of evolved. Um, Not eating crow. I mean, they'll be happy. They'll be happy. <laughs> and I think in any trade, unless you have a lot of power, like in the NBA and you have a player option you can hold over people's heads, you don't really get to dictate where you go. You're just traded. And to be honest with you, the, the Rockies had to trade Tulo now because he was next year, he was coming into his year 10, which is... Uh, Baseball is, has such weird, quirky rules. It's a year 10 thing where they, he has veto power over his trades. And that's, then that kicked in when they trade him to Toronto. He now has a no-trade clause. He basically can now say if they wanted to... I don't know if he wants to stay in Toronto, but, I mean, he can now say if they want to trade him, eh, no. This is kind of what uh, Todd Helton had, and Larry Walker had to approve being traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. Larry in Walk Walker. <laughs> uh, they had to... He had to approve being traded to the... Uh, oh, do I want to go the best team ever 
Yes, I'll go to St. Louis. And they went to, I believe, the World Series that year. Do and I want got to play in front of the best fans in baseball? Sure, I guess so. They got uh, swept by the uh, Boston Red Sox, and the Red Sox uh, <laughs> broke their 101-year ga- drought, <laughs> I believe. I think they got a World Series right now. Worked out all right for little Larry Walker. Walker. So I think that... I'm okay with them doing that, and I think that in, eventually Troy will be fine, oh. and it'll it'll be it'll be one of those things. And, and once they once he gets over it, it'll become about what the what the Nuggets Nuggets God dang will be about what the Rockies <laughs> prospects are, and hopefully people can refocus and just just look at that so. because. This team is not going to get any worse without Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah. They may be a little worse, but I mean... So I caught about, I don't know, maybe eight minutes, maybe six minutes of the uh, Jeff Breidich press conference today. Um, I watched it, and I don't know anything about this guy. I didn't see his first press conference he had with the team. I didn't even know what the guy looked like. Yeah. I clicked on a link when somebody put it up on Twitter and said, Hey, Rocky's press conference is going on right now clicked it pops up i'm watching this guy and first thing i noticed was rocky's um podium had a microphone stand next to it that was had an arm on it like the ones we use for the podcast or used to use (laughs) and i was like what What? they don't have a microphone that comes out of the podium like what is this 1993 (laughs) and then and then i started noticing uh breidich's kind of his tone his, his facial expression his body language I thought it was horrific. I thought he looked, I mean, obviously, and I tweeted out, I mean, obviously when you go into a press conference and you're the one guy standing up there with, you know, 30 local yahoos throwing questions at you, you don't have no idea what they're going to ask, and you don't have the best news. It's not like they're announcing that they traded for Troy Tulowitzki. They're explaining why they traded the best shortstop in baseball. But I, I found his answers. I mean, he paused a few times before he answered and kind of stared off into space. There was some shoulder shrugging, some, you know, rubbing his face, and just he didn't. It didn't sound like a GM to me that actually had a plan. It was like, well, we got this deal, and we talked to him uh, over the winter, and we did it. Well, eh, my biggest it was a good thing, deal. My biggest thing with him is he's Eeyore. I mean, he really is the embodiment of Eeyore. He's very sad sack looking, monotone, monotone. Uh, you know. Sometimes GMs aren't the best at handling the media. Let me let me read three three tweets that I saw that yeah. I thought summed up pretty well. So uh, our friend Derek Kessinger, uh, great reporter, does a lot of work around town. Uh, he tweeted out and said, "This is not the worst Rockies press conference of the year. Breidich's opening press conference was worse." So okay, <laughs> you know, baby steps. <laughs> uh, Drew Cressman, uh, fabulous baseball writer for Purple Row, other outlets. He wrote, he, wrote, uh, he wrote on Twitter, I give that presser a D minus slash F plus, which, <laughs> not good. Um, Scott Bubsy, a guy that we interact with on Twitter, he, he'd written you, Jeff. I actually favored this one uh, when you, you'd written out something about Breidich's presser, and he said, uh, a lot of it is because he is a complete mindless corporate drone who only speaks in generalities. <laughs> I like that one. That was good. And then... Uh, you know, I guess uh, the mm. devil's advocate approach, Mark Kilsla tweeted out, uh, after attending hashtag Tulo trade presser, props to Rockies GM Jeff Breidich for grace and poise. As important as roster building? No, but important. 
So three people thought he was okay. horrific, and Kisla thought he was great. I don't. I didn't <laughs> think he was horrific. I just think he's not the greatest salesman in the world. And I think I think some GMs are not like that. And that's that's to me when you talk about general managers and Jeff. We talked about this on the phone the other day. It's you know you put that guy in a room trying to sell your organization to a free agent. Yeah. I don't have a lot of confidence in Breidich to be able to get the job done. Now, the Rockies are maybe your best option to come. <laughs> All right, why? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> making him sound like uh, Emo Phillips, but um, it's it's one of the. Oh, call me Mr. Butterfinger. I'm oh, sorry. It's Emo <laughs> Phillips. Um, I, I think that people can overrate salesmanship at the same time as people underrate it. It's a kind of a, it's, it's a more of an art than a science. And I think that he just doesn't have the grasp of it. His opening presser was terrible. It was awful. He just just did not seem like he really knew how we to handle it. We love baseball. <laughs> you like baseball. We win together. Championships. You know, but you know, to be honest with you, though, it's it's he's only been on the job a year. He'll he'll improve hopefully. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, the guy that we follow the most, the guys that we follow the most. Josh Kroenke has has come. Oh, he's had some horrible press conferences. <laughs> little ways in his press conferences that have overall been uh, not great for him. He's uh, learned how to learn how to uh, limit his exposure publicly. And I, I, I got, which I is got very to say, good. I absolutely hated the interview he gave with Mark Spears about Ty Lawson. I thought it was terrible. I thought Tim Conley did a great job taking the high road, talking about. You know, Lawson, yes, has issues, but we were behind him. Everything was all good. You know, and then, and then Kroenke kind of came out and, and basically, you know, tried his best to, to throw Ty under the bus. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. Uh, it was, it was, I thought it was classless. It, I, I didn't like it. Um, and if Josh was sitting here with us, I'd tell him the same thing. It was, it was bad. It was poor taste. Um, despite whatever he meant when he said what he said, uh, you don't say it. And you don't let a reporter put it out there like that. And I thought it was it was just just poor taste. And I think he'll learn from that. And I think Jeff Breidich will learn from being Mr. Sadsack in these conference press conferences and learn how the nuance of uh, thank you uh, will learn the nuance of this sort of thing. So one would hope, uh, you know. Yeah. So I think we're let's get a little bit away from baseball talk and get into a little segment we like to call things Jeff believes to be true. There was a time we had music with us. I just remember that. We forgot to download the song. It has been so long. It's been so long since I've done this segment. This is Please one of your, forgive me. I'm this rusty. is one of your failed segments you're going to try to bring back. I, I, I'm going to try to bring back things Jeff believes to be true. I'm going to do it, all right? I know this is kind of like jumping the shark now with mentioning I'm going to try to bring it back, but still. All right. Uh, I'm just going to mention an article that I wrote. How do you jump over a shark, by the way? No, it's a reference to Happy Days. Really? That's where jumping the shark came from? Yeah. It was towards the, towards the end of Happy Day's run, and he jumped, uh, Fon, the Fonz jumps the shark. And that was the, 
the moment where everyone, you know, knew that it was, yeah. Anyway. Fake and phony and terrible? <laughs> That's what Trump and the Shark means, right? Like unrealistic and crap? Oh, um, anyways. I wrote an article um, a couple days ago um, basically talking about. Prove it. <laughs> Prove it. I don't believe you. Uh, it's called my personal journey through analytics, and and I'll tell you what, it wasn't much of a journey. Well, no, it's not much much of a journey, and I, I really, actually, in hindsight, <laughs> I was expecting like a Lord of the Rings type quest. In hindsight, I realized the word journey probably overstated the the trip. It was, to hear about it, like it was always. wasn't even it wasn't even a soiree. It was more of a walk to the mailbox. <laughs> I wanted like trials. I was hoping you'd be like, you know, I looked at efficiency field goal percentages and. Then I went out to my local park, and I took a 1,000 shots. And God damn it, if it didn't turn out that 30% of those went in. What happened was in 2013, I actually attempted to chart out shots. But about a series of about, it was during the Nuggets 15-game uh, winning streak. And I attempted to chart out the shots. Is this on the Brian Shire? No, this was 2013. 13. This was the, the yeah the 15 game winning streak during the Georgie Boys. Yeah, the 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 57 win ga- the campaign. Georgie Boy. And uh, I attempted char- to chart out. Um, def- <laughs> this is the way I put it in the. I, I attempted to gauge shot efficiency and defensive metrics while handwriting a chart made of missed shots and relative offensive flow and pace. <laughs> I, at least that's what I remember because I had it written I wish down. I should have kept this chart. And- should have taken a picture of it. And I should it have, out. you know, and I do have it. And I probably should take a picture of it. And it was so bad. I mean, I did I did it over four, three or four games. And at the end of the th- the last game, I was my my head was splitting. I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life. You referenced migraines. Migraine. It was a migraine. Do you get migraines? I get migraines. They are they are awful. I, if anyone's had migraine, you want you know. HIPAA laws have actually prevented us from digging in too far to that research. <laughs> yes, well, you know, we won't go <laughs> we'll too far. You, you don't want to see the massive brain tumor that's. A, <laughs> um, and I learned from that that I just it wasn't for me because more than just the headache, as I was going through trying to do all this stuff, I just hate started hating basketball. I seriously stopped enjoying it, and I'm like. That's when I was like, I threw my hands and said, like, you know what? This isn't for me. This is not something that I can do. This is not something that is meant for Jeff Morton to be doing specifically. I'll tell you one cool story that I, that I know about analytics, and this is a very, very, you know, kind of bizarre. Off, well, I don't know. It's not bizarre. It's just a, a very small sample of where analytics has been presented to a player. I, talking with uh, the Nuggets manager of analytics, Tommy Balchettis. Is it Balchettis? I always want to say Balcetis. Balcetis? God dang. I need to go to like a... I feel like I used to be good at pronouncing names, and now I'm horrible. Now you're not even pronouncing like like Smith right anymore. Can't get Smythe. Smythe. <laughs> Smithers. So anyway, I, I'm talking to Tommy, and he tells me, you know, we're, we're just having a casual conversation. And you know, he says, well, he's holding these papers. It was around the time I wrote the article about him uh, and the Nuggets analytics, and you know, he showed me this, this piece of paper that had a player's, it was like a pie chart, and it showed yeah. one side of it was the player's shooting percentages when he shot off the dribble. And, you know, one or two dribbles plus, this is what your shooting percentages are. 
And these are your shooting percentages with no dribbles, the catch and shoot. And they were much higher. They were better percentages. So he was showing this to the player and telling the player, you know, look at this. Like, which one's better for you? Well, obviously, my numbers look a lot better there. That is. Exactly. So you should be catching and shooting. And it's not like they were saying this is what you have to do. It was just to kind of show that player and reaffirm to him that, yes, when you take the ball and just launch it, you're doing better. So, you know, maybe do that or think about that. So that was a a point to me where analytics can kind of come into play and really kind of help. Just It's a piece of a puzzle. But it's not the whole thing. This is what we confuse analytics with common sense. And I think any person who's watching a game can see that Randy Foy or someone else does better when they shoot a certain way. And I think you have to use combined common sense with statistics. I don't need to know the percentage uh, percentage of something to know I do something well a certain way. Sometimes people need it confirmed, I guess. Um, but that's basically what it is. And I decided at that moment, I said, like, there's people who understand this and work on this far better than me. And I understand their purpose. And I just like you essayed with that story with Tommy Balsitas, you know, you have to. And what actually made me think of the story was the uh, Sacramento Kings let former pioneer of... Uh, of analytics, Dean Oliver, who was uh, with the Nuggets for many years, uh, go. And that's what kind of spurred this this on. And it made me think, there's people out there who, who do this, and they do it really well. And the- you'll read, I mean, you still read, like if, obviously, uh, Seth Partnow writes some great stuff about, you know, analytics. You read that stuff. I'll read it. I don't necessarily understand it, but I'll read it. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't think I need to. And see, that's the point. I don't think I need to understand it because my role as someone who covers the Nuggets and what I do is less analytical than, say, something that our writer Adam Mares does. He, he, he looks at that from that angle, and I think we have it covered there. I don't need to do that. And I think the NB, where well, I think we need to stop where every everyone needs to stop and take a take a kind of a breath in this whole debate, quote unquote, with analytics between that and eye test, and I call it feel. Is it's not a war, right? You don't need to. I mean, even with people who uh, don't necessarily agree with it on on Twitter, or necessarily people in the league who just cover the teams agree, don't agree. You don't have to have that. You don't have to have agreeance. You you don't have to have. That sort of thing, you can coexist without that happening. I thought you, you don't the, need to win a war. And the, the part that I liked that you wrote about was you talked about your own personal enjoyment of how you watch the game and how you write about the game. Yeah, and it can, like you said, it can be a, a great blend. I mean, I find, you know, and I'll read a, a piece that's I love the. There's a Josh Smith piece. There's a I don't know fifty five thousand Josh Smith pieces about the numbers and how he's a terrible player and. You know, some people wrote it better than others, but I, I like learning new things. I think there's always stuff to learn, and I don't apply that much, you know, advanced stats in the, in the stuff I write. I, I dabble here and there with stuff that I, I, I feel like I understand and I, that I think is important. And, and like you said, you know, it's, it's about how you see the game, how you view the game, and, 
and what enjoyment you get out of it. And it's not, like you said, it's not a war. It's not, you know, if you're not paying attention to this and you're wrong. It's like, no, it's just, you know, it's freaking life, you know. It's just how you enjoy something. It's not something that has to be a war. It doesn't have to be divide and conquer. It doesn't, there's no reason for it. You don't have to, to be that guy who comes out on top with this because, you know, quite frankly, the NBA, even though analytics definitely, quote-unquote, has won in, in terms of being used primarily in the NBA, it doesn't mean that coaches don't say, I feel that this lineup works better than another lineup. Some lineups work better on certain nights better than they, than they do others. Some matchups. And like, you know, as I said before, and on, in, on multiple times on this podcast, the NBA is more about matchups than it is about anything else. Like, you know, certain the teams, yeah, the 2009 Nuggets matched up really well against the, the Dallas Mavericks. They swept them in the regular season and then had got the fortunate to, to get them in the second round and won the series 4-1. That was a matchup problem. It was all about matchups in there. And you knew, and like when when Costa Kufis went up against Andrew Bogut, yeah, you could see very quickly that that was a shit matchup. Yes, you know, and then Mozgov when he played against Bogut, that was a good matchup. You know, it was better. Yes, more favorable. Yes, and, and you know, you could see that even in this last series, the Cleveland and uh, the uh, the Warriors, and where got Bogut benched. The Bogut was basically rendered. To the to point where he, he didn't even get into the games barely. I mean, yeah, he didn't play. He didn't play after and it, game two or whatever. And it it's like that's that's how you know. But you know, whatever. And, and it's not a war. And it's like both things are valid, and both things are used. And I think in a, in a sport like this, why, why people take it so personally? Why people take it to such an extent to where they're like they have to get? I mean, specifically on Twitter, where you just like. It gets so personal. Well, we had There's no too, need for I mean, that shit. Even on our comment sections on Stiffs, I mean, there is some very lengthy debates for months about, you know, it was coined as, as some, you know, the eye test versus anals, as some guys <laughs> called it on the site. And it was, you know, it got, it got really funny, but it, I, I've kind of, I've somewhat enjoyed it. And part of me, though, like when I go to read, when I read baseball articles, and I tried to do this whenever I, whenever I, I was making probably a better effort, and I feel like maybe I, I don't do it. But I try whenever I write something and I use something like, you know, pace or whatever. I try to at least link to the definition of it, or put in parentheses quickly what it might mean. Because when I read a lot of baseball articles, I don't know what the hell people are talking about. I don't know what war is. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know what whip is. Like, there's a lot of terms I don't understand, and they never get explained. So I kind of feel left out of the conversation in a lot of baseball pieces that I read, and I'm like, well, I guess I just don't care then. I mean, whatever. So it's a funny conversation, and uh, it's like, it's hard. It, 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 I think people just need to chill out and understand this is this is basketball, and and just enjoy what you're watching. You know, don't put that much thought into it. Just enjoy it. If you look at it through a metrics prism. Great. If you look at it and you just want to enjoy the game like me, just do it. There's no in. You, you, neither side is invalid. So there we go. Those are the things that Jeff believes to be true. I will come with uh, uh, music next week. Music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 
a great piece that was written today that got a lot of buzz because there's basically nothing being written about in the NBA right now is Zach Lowe's piece about the Charlotte Hornets that went through um, multiple trade scenarios that the Hornets have have given up or that they didn't take. They drafted Frank Kaminsky. They had the potential to get all these draft picks, blah, 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 blah. Whatever, whatever. People wrote a bunch of crap about it. Um, people wrote pieces about Zach Lowe's piece. Uh, the thing that I found interesting, though, was uh, so the Hornets traded for Nick Batum this offseason. They traded Noah Vonley and Gerald Henderson, I believe, for, for Nicholas Batum. Is there, maybe there's some other pieces involved. I don't know. Mm, yeah. But the main piece was Vonley for Batum. Batum, still young, I think just 26, same age, basically, as Gallinari. Uh, he goes to Charlotte. He has only one season left on his contract, and, and Lowe had written, um, you know, Batum obviously had a down year last year. So he wrote, he wrote this part. He said, Charlotte might have to choose between losing Batum or maxing him out, and that looks like a lose-lose, even with another cap spike likely coming in 2017-18 that will make a potential max deal for Batum a, less, a little less painful. The Hornets should try like hell to extend Batum now, as the Nuggets just did with Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari, but they don't have the cap space to offer Batum a raise this season as a carrot to coax him. Mm. That part really stuck with me because Denver was able to both renegotiate and extend the contracts of Chandler and Gallinari, and I started thinking again. I know last season we talked about it, the JaVale McGee trade to the 76ers. The Nuggets send McGee and a first-round pick belonging to Oklahoma City to Philly. And I was kind of critical of it because I hated that the Nuggets sold a first-round pick. And then we look into it. It's most likely that that pick from the Thunder turns into two second-round picks. And had the Nuggets not made that deal... And had they not traded Ty Lawson, they never would have had the salary cap room to be able to renegotiate and extend both Wilson and Gallo. Yeah. And damn it, I would much rather have those guys on the team than a stupid first-round pick and JaVale <laughs> McGee's bloated contract as an expiring deal. And you think about, think about what the Nuggets would be if they weren't able to move JaVale. They, I mean, I, they would be paralyzed. You'd be going into the final season of, of both these guys' deals, Chandler and Gallo, right? You run the risk of losing them for nothing, or you make some sort of trade. This, or, this or, you, or you have to you allow those guys to go into free agency and you overpay the shit out of them. I mean, both guys signed reasonable contracts for the new NBA landscape. Yeah, there, even though there were some, I won't call them morons, but you know, maybe approaching morons who are like uh, saying that even Wilson Chandler's contract was overpaying. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Especially with this cap exploding. Are you kidding me? And, and Danilo Gallinari, you're only getting him for, uh, let's see, 14 million this year after the renegotiation, 15 million and then 16 million. I, I mean, Nothing, and it just to me it was it's an it's another underrated move by this front office. Something that you know at the time when they traded McGee, we started kind of asking you know what are they doing, you know what are, 
yeah, they're trying to they get these trade exceptions back, right? And we're going, ah, they're not going to use those. What are they going to do with these trade exceptions? They're piling up. But we didn't see the long game of, of extending these two contracts. And, and to me, it's just another, you know, it's not a huge reason, but it's another piece to why the Nuggets should extend the contract of general manager Tim Connolly. I agree. And, you know, I... Our friend, guy that's written for us in the past, Chris Chan, on, on Twitter, had, had written me and said, well, they're, the only reason they want Conley, or the only reason Nate wants Conley extended is because he's friendly with them. It's not for basketball reasons. And to me, you know, I don't, I don't, Conley could come on our podcast every single week, and I was still would judge him based on his basketball moves. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, I do think that there is, from what Kisla said on his, in his tweet about, uh, about the Rockies general manager, Jeff Breidich, when he said, you know, having a personality doesn't, it's not as good as roster building, but it's important. It is yeah. important. I mean, Conley, yes, he has come on our podcast. He has done, you know, things to, to help his own cause to be out there with the media. And, and, you know, he's just doing his damn job as far as I'm concerned. Basically. You know, when you ask him for an interview and he says yes, I mean, that's him doing his job. But to me, you do have to have a general manager that has some personality, that is a guy that, that can get along with players. And, and like, like we talked about, yes, maybe it's overrated on, on selling a team, but when you put you know, Conley in a room with a player, I don't have ultimate confidence that he's going to be able to sell Denver, but I have a, a pretty decent amount of confidence that he's going to be able to sell the city of Denver. I think people over, overly, are overly harsh on his first moves. And it's because there was a lot of confusion. He was hired six days before Brian Shaw was hired and two weeks before the draft. And it's not always... And the entire scouting department was gone. The entire scouting department. The Nuggets had no scouting department. The only guy that stayed was Herb Livesey. And and He's a true scout. The fact that they got uh, Joffrey Laverne in in that draft and, you know, in Eric Green... Uh, when the Nuggets said they didn't have a first round, though they 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 trade now. The 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 Rudy Gobert thing is probably going to haunt um, uh, Tim Conley for a long time. I don't know why though. I it's, mean, Rudy it's, Gobert's- it's not something that should because to be quite. You know, let's you and I have talked about this. Let's be honest. It, the circumstances of that trade, the Nuggets roster was stacked. They couldn't afford a first round pick on the roster. They had to base. They were basically limited to a second round pick. Because of the nature of the the roster, I mean, they traded Costa uh, well, Kufis. At that point in time, they weren't necessarily in a place where they were thinking about the future. They were thinking about making the playoffs. Yes. Quite frankly, they yeah. they had the successful season with George. They transitioned into a new GM, a new coach, and and the plan was, as you can see it, based off the moves they made, was to try to push forward with that roster. It wasn't to acquire young talent that was very raw, which Gobert was, and and to me, you know, yeah, it was. It wasn't good to sign Nate Robinson or J.J. Hickson. You know, at least they got something out of that Andre Godala deal by bringing in Randy Foy, a guy that even George Carl said, had he had a guy like him, the Nuggets might have you know gone on pretty far in the playoffs if they had it a shooter. Um, but to me, I mean, those moves, yeah, I, I question them. I don't like them. I didn't like them, but I, I feel like from talking with Conley, and talking with other people around the Nuggets, that I really do feel like that they learn from those moves. And they, I think having Nate Robinson, having a locker room that wasn't the most professional, that was 
you know, playing music after wins or losses, yeah. you know, having fun, this and that. I think they realize that culture really matters, and mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to correct that. So yeah, I do hold some of that against them, but I don't hold it against Tim Conley singly because there's not a singular decision that's made in that franchise. You know, it's a it's, group decision all the time, every time. And it has been that way since uh, Chapman, Workentine, and Barrett were here. And it's it's one of those situations where you look at it and you think, all right, the Nuggets understood culture, so they they resigned high-character guys. They, I mean, both Chandler and Gallinari are both known for having good character in the locker room. And even if Chandler is not a – I don't know what he's like – when it's just the team. I, I saw a tiny glimpse when I went to a game in Golden State where I was in the visiting locker room and I was you know, a, a little bit of ways away from a group of players, Chandler among them, Nate Robinson, Quincy Miller, um, Timothy Mozgov, and they got into a, a funny conversation about uh, fighting guys in childhood, like getting in t- uh, you know, tussles on like the playground type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And they talked about choking a guy. <laughs> I mean, and they said, you know, if you choke a guy or if, if, he, if the dude passes out, like, do you win the fight? If you just, I don't know. It was a weird conversation, <laughs> but it was like, it was, it's a rare glimpse of seeing these guys talking openly because we don't really get to see that. So no, we don't, we particularly don't, at home. You yeah. do not see that. And we don't know what it's like at, at halftime when it's just them in the locker room or at practice when it's just them and the media is not around. We don't know. And, and, yeah, people can tell us this and that, but I, I do tend to think that, you know, a guy like Chandler is probably a, you know, not obviously not a vocal guy, but he's a pro. You know, I mean, he's a come to work, work hard, whatever. You need Gallinari, to s- yeah. more vocal. You need to surround a rookie high draft pick with as much character as possible. With guys that work hard, guys that are yeah. also, you know, vocal leaders, but guys that... Show up early, stay late, that kind of stuff. And that's what people miss with these signings. It's like this this part of this is like the Nuggets want to keep guys who were a good impact on overall culture through the bad Shaw years. And you know, um it's it's funny that you you, you see these you see when you're a, a guy like us, you see things in the locker room. And as you're dis- you're discussing, Nate, you know, on the road it's, it was a lot more open, and generally you don't see everything. But what I saw last year, particularly through the last days of Brian Shaw, was a depressed, um, checked out, um, basically horrible vibe. And the vibe was there all year, but it got worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point, a couple games before I was at the New Orleans game, and then that was, I think, the game before Shaw was fired. And it was bad. It was bad. I mean, no one wanted to be there. And, yeah, you can talk about the change when Melvin Hunt came in, but there was still an element of get us the corp, you know, the bleep out of here. And now the Nuggets are keeping the people who wanted to be here. And I think Tim Connolly talked about that after the, uh, you know, the season was like, we wanted to talk to the guys who wanted to be here. We wanted to be to communicate with them and say, like, what are you going to do to make this better? And one of those was Jameer Nelson. One of those was Wilson Chandler. One of those was Danilo Gallinari. And, I think, and lo and behold, all three are signed. And one of those guys, too, that 
I feel like was kind of the first guy probably that got Conley and, and some other front office guys thinking, okay, I think it was Darrell Arthur. I think when Arthur got here from Memphis, he went from a playoff team to a, kind of a foggy situation in Denver and mm-hmm. was probably unsure about it, but he seemed to really take to the city fast, and he's another guy they're bringing back that really seemed to enjoy himself in Denver. Darrell's a nice guy. I've talked to him multiple times. He's just he's a genuine genuine guy. He's an outdoorsman. He's an outdoorsman, and he's he's <laughs> uh, he's very uh, uh, Matt Moore's favorite right. favorite player. <laughs> It's because he was a Grizzly. Because <laughs> he was a Grizzly. So. But that's the other thing, too. Like, uh, Eric Green, Nick Johnson, and Drell Arthur are going to probably go on some fishing trips. Yeah. They're, the, they're the fishermen, port knowledge. Uh, but it, it, it is good to see that kind of stuff. And even I even remember last year there was a, a game late in the season. I think Melvin was the head coach at this point. And I was in the locker room, and I, I'm watching a conversation First, it's between Jameer Nelson and Joffrey Laverne. And I believe the Nuggets were heading out on a road trip later. I think they had a plane to catch in a couple hours or something. Yeah. So they were trying to figure out, or Joffrey was trying to figure out how to get a ride to the airport or to wherever he needed to go. Maybe not to the airport, maybe just back to the arena or something. But he was trying to eat because he was hungry after the game, right? So Jameer Nelson is talking to Joffrey, and there's a little bit of a communication issue because Joffrey, you know, still learning the English language whatnot. And he's trying to figure out how to get this ride, and, and Jameer's trying to, you know, help him out and figure it out. And then suddenly Joffrey kind of goes over to Randy Foy and yeah. starts talking to Foy about needing a ride. And, and Foy's, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And it was just hilarious to kind of see this thing where they're like, no, Joffrey's just he's trying to eat, but... We don't want to eat food here. We're trying to go somewhere else or something. You know, it's just this funny conversation. And there's just there's glimpses like that where you just, I, I that 57 win season, the locker room was awesome. I mean, it was like like Paul Klee said on the podcast last weekend. George Carl called it. You know, it wasn't a low maintenance team. It was a no maintenance team. Yeah. And really, it was just you know it was a, it was a great group and it was a lot of fun being in that locker room. And, you know, they won. God, what was it? 37 home games that year. 37 out of 41. So, yeah, they always had a good time because they won every damn game. Um, but under Shaw, I mean, it was just a different – it was a completely different locker room. And I really like that the Nuggets are putting in an emphasis on trying to create a good locker room again. I think that that's vastly underrated. Well, and, and it, that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm actually upset that uh, Timothy Moskov is not here because he was fantastic in the locker room. And it's hard for me to translate to people – how good Mozzie was in the locker room and how what a pleasure it was to cover him because he was I, I, all right Mozgov and I, I don't know if I've told this story before that Timo always made it a point at least with me the last two years that I covered this team <clears throat> he would make sure if he was in the last in the gym make sure that he said goodbye to everyone that was one of his things so one day Chris Dempsey and I are um talking after practice and you know that happens frequently and towards you and, you and Dempsey's conversations we would just frequent. kind of be sitting there against the <laughs> against the mats at the at the practice just talking because everyone had left <clears throat> one time we were trying to interview a certain player and he just buggered off on us but that's another story um <clears throat> and <laughs> Mozzie comes in and I, I had no idea what was going on my face was turned and I was talking to Dempsey and Dempsey just stops talking and I turn around and like two inches from my face, there's this massive fist 
<laughs> just a massive fist, like two, literally there. And I was like, whoa. And Bozzy was drinking some of that health milk that uh, Steve Hess had for them last health year. Health milk? Yes. It's, it's, that's, a long milk? Sto- that's, that's a long story. <laughs> it, wasn't even, it wasn't even muscle milk. It was something. It was a, it was a get better um, concoction from Drink this and get better. Get be- and Nugget's entire team suspended <laughs> for violating NBA's substance no abuse program. You, you know, everyone, everyone, it's, it's Steve has. Get better. Steve has is like, he, he's always like had something new that he's trying. And it was like, anyway, but he's, Mozzie's drinking this stuff. And I turned and his fist was right there. And like, Mozzie would give everyone a fist bump. So I had to like crane my neck and give him a fist bump before I left. One of the last things he did, and uh, like the, the game before he was traded. Mozzie was walking down the hall, and I was talking to uh, Tim Gilt and uh, Chris Dempsey and a couple other reporters, and it was in literally the hallway going out, and Mozzie was leaving, and he said, hey! We all looked up, put out his fist. Everyone had to give him a fist bump before he leaves. That's why, anyway, he was great in the locker room. Gall- he and Gallo had a fantastic relationship. Um, Gallo was great in the locker room. Gallo loves to give people crap. He He just... He is the guy that will find that thing he wants to tease and just, like, focus on it, i.e. my hair at the beginning of last season, which was not cool, Gallo. But, <laughs> and I'm not being serious, but uh, there's just a lot of different things that happen. Good things. And that was obscured by what I would say a small ha- handful of players that really poisoned the locker room. And I think the Nuggets have kept the ones that are the good ones. I think so, too. And I think that, you know, obviously we want, we don't want just a bunch of lovable losers, you know. And I, I, I still don't like the term of calling most of these guys losers because they've been winners for, you know, large portions of their careers. And it's going to be nice to see a reboot of what, should have been after the George Carl era, hopefully. You know, I, I, I'm hopeful that Brian Shaw is looked at as Paul Westhead. That's the best case scenario yeah. for the Nuggets. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, it, it sucks. And even, even seeing Roy Hibbert had an article recently where he said he wanted to, you know, something about he likes, he likes Byron Scott because he played in the league. And he had a whole paragraph about Brian Shaw where he said, you know, Coach Shaw was a former player, so he you know, knew about the ups and downs. And to me, I just, it's hard for me to read stuff like that and, and think, is this the same guy that was in Denver? Because, damn, I mean, he just didn't come across as a player's coach, even though that's what he was billed as. Um, it was so, such a strange thing. Some people make better assistant coaches. Yeah, and it's it's going to be nice to see what Michael Malone does, what Ed Pinkney does, you know, what Mike Nori does. That guy is fantastic, by the way. Getting to talk with him at Summer League, we don't know yet if Michael Malone is going to allow his assistant coaches to talk to the media, which was honestly a blessing under George Carl and Brian Shaw. There's not a lot of teams in the NBA that allow reporters to talk to assistant coaches. I mean, to even talk to them, to just you know have a conversation. So for the Nuggets, for George Carl and Brian Shaw to be so open about letting media members talk to assistants, I really hope that Malone is the same way, but I fear that he might not be because he wouldn't let anybody talk to Mike and Nori before we got to Las Vegas. I think Nori maybe talked at the last practice 
the mini camp thing. Yeah. Um, Ed Pinkney, I've been afraid to talk to. He's a giant. He's and a big he man. He always has a scowl on his face. He's a, he's cer- he's certainly a large man. Which I didn't remember him <laughs> being that big before. Well, he's also got the post weight, the post player yeah, weight that they put on. You know, he's, he's a big he's, dude. He's, he's got the Mark Randall rate, weight. So that's a he's a big dude. But it, I, I'm excited for this this new era of Nuggets basketball, and I I like the vision of the front office. I think it's 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 also very important to to understand how many people Tim Conley's brought into this organization to help out. I mean, when was the last time we had an ex player like Jarrett Jeffries around? I can't uh, I can't totally remember well, one. Well, I mean, yeah, Conley brought him in what the first uh, year? Yeah, because I mean, Ryan Bowen was around. He's around now under yeah. Malone's staff. It was nice talking to Ryan a little bit. Uh, I talked to him a little bit uh, as we were. Uh, I think it was the second workout, yeah. the Moutier workout. Um, talked to him a little bit. Uh, Bowen's a nice dude. Uh, apparently, he remembered you. Yeah, which is bizarre. I don't know how he knows who I am, but <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, it, I thought it was key, too. My, at, at Summer League, my sister came to one of the games. She was out there for a couple of days overlapping when I was in Las Vegas, and she came to one of the games at Cox Pavilion, and she texted me during the game and said, Hey, who are all these guys in the uh, the dark T-shirts on the bench? I said, "Oh, well, that's the PR staff and the assistant coaches, and you know the training staff." And she's like, "There's more of them than there are players." And I was like, "I know. Like, there's a lot of guys with jobs in the front office and the coaching staff." And it's, yep. I think it's a credit to, you know, we give the Nuggets a hard time, and you know, I'll give them a hard time again if if they don't take care of keeping a front office intact. Like they have shown the inability to do over the past ten years, but I, I think it's important to keep a front office intact and to keep a coaching stack staff intact. You know, if they're doing a good job, and, and I feel like this front office is, has turned a corner to a degree, and I I don't think that they're a hundred percent there yet, but I do think they get the benefit of the doubt on saying, "Hey, this is their vision. Let's let them see it through." I think they deserve. Serious consideration to be extended, and, you know. And would to, you let the season play out? Uh, I would get it done now, but that's not how they operate. So, but I, I he'll definitely get the season. But I, mean, I, I don't think that you know. There's probably not other teams in the NBA that are pining to sign Tim Conley like they were Masai Ujiri. Yeah, but you know, I I I really don't want to see you know the. the somewhat the elephant in the room where Pete D'Alessandro comes down from whatever position he has and, and takes over as general manager and, and Tim Conley's ushered out the door. I think that would be a nightmare scenario. Yeah, I'm, that would be a concern. That is a concern. Uh, I think Pete is best when he's doing exclusively cap things. And I don't necessarily think he works as a... I mean, this is my opinion. I don't think he necessarily works as a general manager. I think he works as a guy who is a cap expert, which is valued in this league right now. It's huge. I mean, we've seen it with this offseason for the Nuggets. They've, you know, finagled these Chandler-Gallo deals, and they've, you know, found a way to bring back, you know, Jameer Nelson. Maybe they paid a a bit too much for him, whatever you you think there. They bring back Darrell Arthur. I mean, these are things that, that the Alessandro has unquestionably helped out with. I agree. And I think uh, if they're, they're going to keep him in that role, he'd be perfect for it. 
and I hope uh, I hope they've kept him in that role. And I hope that that tends to be the one for the future because he was great at that when the three years Masai was here. Yeah. So. All right, man. We've talked about a lot of Rockies and some Nuggets. We're we even got. We even brought back things Jeff believes to be true. I mean, we did. We did it. Good Lord, some of the people who are are longtime listeners of CSG will remember that segment. Yes. That goes back many years now. Not many years. <laughs> All right. Well, we're done here. We talked about the Rockies. They traded their best player. The Nuggets are trying to find the best player. So we'll, we'll see how it works out, and we'll see you guys next week. Next week.